0: Hello, and welcome to this weekend, Charlestown Road, a branch of the Heaven Bound podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Shouse, and this is where we reflect on the weekend that was. We dig a little deeper into a recent sermon to give you something to think about as this week unfolds and preview what's to come this next weekend
1: at Charlestown Road. It's good to have each of you with us today. Uh, Jason was preaching Sunday morning, and he's working through the book of 2 Timothy. It's kind of chapter by chapter, and kind of building off of our theme this year of Finish What Was Started. And Second Timothy takes us to the last inspired words of the Apostle Paul. Uh, There are a lot of famous books about final sayings, and so this is the last thing through the Holy Spirit that Paul would write that's in our Bibles. And so uh, it's interesting just to see this. It's a powerful book to talk about those who are interested in doing what God wants to do and to follow those concepts. And so Jason, let's go back and and talk about the lesson here just a little bit. Uh, This is on our website, and we encourage you, if you haven't listened to it, to listen to it. And then if you have listened to it, listen to it again, because (laughs) it's just uh, valuable stuff. It's a great reminder for us. And we'll talk about some of those things here in just a moment. Sure. It's
0: written to a young evangelist, but I am convinced whether... You are an evangelist by trade or uh, a brother or sister in Christ who may work in some sort of secular work. There are so many lessons that we all need to see and apply from this last letter of Paul. Of course, we've rooted the entire series in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, where Paul writes, I have finished the race. That was one of the key inspiration verses for our entire theme here at Charlestown Road in 2023. Finish what was started. And as you said, I I just confined myself to 2 Timothy chapter 2. This past Sunday and Paul, I believe, is helping Timothy press on even once Paul has gone the way of all the earth, gone on to his reward. We know from 1st and 2nd Timothy, Timothy has been left in the great city of Ephesus there is a little bit of timidity there a little bit of uncertainty maybe some feelings of inadequacy and this man who had become a a kind of spiritual father for Timothy is guiding and encouraging him, challenging him to step up. And so we focused on, first of all, three relatable illustrations that Paul uses, each of them with a a long-term goal in mind. He encourages Timothy to be like a soldier who aims to please the one who enlisted him and like an athlete who competes according to the rules in order to be crowned or a hard working farmer who is working in view of an eventual harvest. He he can't always see it, and he may not always know the winds or the where's or the why, but he's working in view of a coming harvest. And then we spent really the rest of the time focusing on, okay, what am I going to need? What would Timothy need? What do we all need to finish this race? Well, uh, we're going to need the strength of grace, a powerful statement there in verse one. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He challenges Timothy, remember Christ Jesus. is risen and reigning. You're going to need to endure faithfully, and so... We ended with just some basic perspectives. How can we endure faithfully to the end? Well, it's this picture of a baton was handed to Paul, who's handing it to Timothy, who is instructed to hand that baton of faith to others also. And and the responsibility of each one of us, generation by generation, is to faithfully carry it and then hand it off. And it's not always easy, right? Paul is writing from prison, but we we zeroed in on that powerful idea that the word of God is never bound. Um he, he talks about some dangers, never escaping the snare of the devil or swerving away from the truth. And our final point really zeroed in on the best news ever. Because of Jesus, anyone can come to their senses, depart from iniquity, cleanse themselves from what is dishonorable, and obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. Really, all that we did was just draw out a variety
1: of phrases, and uh, I I hope it was helpful. It's a great sermon, and I just love how it just flows through this chapter so easily. Then, You know, as we go back to the beginning of this lesson, really the beginning of this chapter, as Paul gives us these illustrations, it's interesting who he pulls out. He talks about a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. And as a unit, we put those three together. We'll separate them here in a minute. But as a unit, first of all, they're all disciplined. Uh, you know, the illustration Paul does not give us is the bum sleeping on the park bench. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, he doesn't say, you know, you know, think about this unemployed guy who's doing nothing. No, he, they're all disciplined. They're all hardworking. Uh, they all have goals and they all have tools that they use to get where they're going. And so, you know, in, in comparing this, let's, let's just kind of start branching out here just a moment. In what way is a Christian like a soldier? Yeah. Verse three,
0: he brings up being a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And then he amplifies that with, in verse four, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. A a couple of things there. I mean, it's easy to get distracted, right? For a soldier, there are not just military pursuits. Pursuits defined by uh, the ones in charge, but there are also civilian pursuits. And that warning about getting entangled—what a a vivid verb to to turn over in our minds. If we're not careful, we can get tangled up in things that really might hinder us or distract us from our primary purpose. A good soldier knows who he is. He knows who's in charge, who he's supposed to listen to above all, and he knows his purpose that speaks to the discipline you brought out a moment
1: ago you know it, it coming to my mind is is here's a soldier and he's on the front lines and he's reading a letter from home and he's starting to write a letter back to home and he's not paying attention and the enemy is approaching him and because of all that stuff he he loses his life he loses the battle And so it's the idea that he is focused and he recognizes that he's on the front lines. He is someone that must pay attention. And, you know, springing out of this are so many biblical expressions we find all throughout our Bible, such as uh, watch, be alert. Those are terms the Bible uses over and over again to remind us that we need to be paying attention and when we don't do that, uh it's it's like the distracted driver. You know, that's one of the first lessons a teenager learns as you drive. You put that phone somewhere else and hands at, on the wheel and you look at the road. Don't worry about the radio because when you get distracted, that's where trouble comes. Yeah. uh I remember years ago we were in uh, Arizona driving, and I saw this sign that says "Watch for elk next twenty miles." Well, I'd never <laughs> seen an elk outside a zoo. Then it said "Watch for falling rocks." Then another sign said "Watch for deer," and I looked over at my wife. and Says, "Can you watch the road? Because I'm looking at all these other things." <laughs> That's distraction. And what will happen is you'll have an accident. Well, here he's talking about the spiritual battle. And when we get so bogged down with things that really do not matter that much, then we're going to lose that spiritual battle. And so that's, that's just a great thing. His, he moves quickly in the next verse to talk about the athlete. Right. And how is a Christian like an athlete?
0: Verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. You know, in, in today's Olympics, we're anticipating Olympics, Lord willing, next year in, in Paris, France, winners receive a medal around their neck, right? But in ancient times, it would be a crown, usually some sort. Sword of ivy, some uh, some sort of a a plant that had been fashioned into uh, this crown that you would wear. And of course, Paul uses that figure in other uh, letters, other contexts that uh, athletes compete for this perishable crown. We are competing for an imperishable crown. But what an athlete has to keep in mind, what he draws out right here is... You've gotta compete according to the rules. If there is a defined start line and finish line, well, you've, you've gotta respect those. If there are lanes, if there are boundary lines, you've, you've gotta respect those. You know, you, you can't be deciding well i'm i'm going to stop over here for a quick bite and, and and drink while everybody else is running and then you know i'll have a chariot swing by and pick me up and and drop me all 500 yards from the the finish line no athletes are only crowned if they compete according to the rules and so uh, that brings to my mind respect, right? I'm not the one who defines the rules. It brings out submission. Really, it is the natural consequence of having a creator who has expressed his will
1: for his creation. And I think in modern times, we'd simply say you can't cheat. Yeah, You just can't cheat. And you know, every, every ball game we watch, whether it's basketball or football, there's always uh, that timeout where they're fussing about the rules. Was the ball <laughs> inbounds or out of bounds? Was there a penalty? Was there not a penalty? And and there are always those who are trying to break the rules. And so, you know, the contrast in these first two illustrations is the soldier's focused. He's paying attention. Here we have an athlete and he's going by the rules. And so he's law-abiding. He's, he's honoring his king, who is God. And again, in our culture today, we take it out of sports and we put it in the, the realm of Christianity. Uh, we find that there's a lot of folks today who who are not going by the rules. Uh, what's wrong with doing this in church? Why can't we do this? Well, they they closed the Bible and they're making up their own rules and they're not this faithful athlete that Paul wants us to be yeah. and that that's a reminder so so then we move on to the third illustration and that's the farmer yeah and what do we see here yeah verse 6 it is the hard working
0: farmer farmers uh, that are not, you know, sitting on the the front porch, just rocking and and wasting the day. No, it's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Well, again, like you said, uh, like Jesus before him, these are such relatable, easy to imagine figures Farmers are hard working, and when you bury seeds in the ground, you're not going to see any growth for a while, and that growth is awfully slow, and it depends upon a lot of things beyond your human control, but if you apply yourself with focused effort, confident expectation, eventually those crops are going to come, but there's a lot of deferred gratification there's there's a lot of discipline a lot of hard work it, it is the perfect illustration for sowing the seed of the kingdom and then trusting
1: the lord of the harvest to do his thing and and by using that phrase the hard working farmer Paul puts before our eyes that that Christianity is just not laying down in the grass and just taking things easy. There is a work that God's expecting us to do, and it is hard. And as Paul was in one city writing this letter to Timothy in another city, he would not be there to hold Timothy's hands. He would not be there to help Timothy, and he would have to endure these things. And I think that's a valuable lesson for us to kind of see as we think about that. You know, in verse 3, which we already mentioned, he says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. You know the the thought that comes to my mind would be someone asking, "Why should I do that?" Yeah. And and to to that what would you say, Jason? Well, Jesus is not asking
0: Paul or Timothy or any of us to do what he himself was not first willing to do, right? Uh, the, the heartbeat of everything was not my will, but the will of the Father be done. And sometimes in order to walk in harmony with the Father or sow the seed that the Father wants to be sown in the world, we're going to run up against opposition. Sometimes we're going to run up against violent, hateful opposition, but the mission is so great that if the messengers, the ambassadors, the, the citizens of this kingdom have to suffer, the mission is worth it, right? This is not a kingdom. Think of the soldier, the athlete, the farmer. This is a not not a kingdom where I am the greatest. I come first. It revolves around me. No, it revolves around the Savior and King who is risen and reigning, and this world lies under the sway of the wicked one, but to draw from 2 Timothy, Christians ought not
1: be ashamed to do the right thing, even when it's unpopular. Well, and I think uh, another way of looking at this is, why should I suffer hardships well, Jesus did for you. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he, he endured all the things he did just for you. And so it carries on. And so that, that is a spirit. I think that again, we need to appreciate and to look at. I want to now kind of go down and talk about the verse two. I've always loved verse two so well when you mentioned this idea of handing the baton on. I yeah. think that's a, a valid principle that we need to appreciate. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You know, this is a principle Paul would say earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 11, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. And and it's it's that idea of that uh, relay race you got one guy who starts off with that baton in his hand. He runs as fast as he can to the next station, and he hands that to the next guy. He takes off, runs fast as he can to the next guy, and then to the fourth guy, and he finishes that race. But each of them hand that baton. Now, if the first guy goes up to the second guy and he keeps that baton, well, then then the race is over for that team. They're done. If that second guy drops that baton, well, he he's he's going to be losing because he's got to spend that time picking it up. If that baton is handed to somebody, he decides to go over to a station and put some <laughs> glitter on it and make it pretty and change it, he's going to lose. But the idea is we have been given the baton by God, and we need to pass it on. To others, and that's really the call of every generation. That's a call of a congregation to look beyond the present, to look to next year, to look to the next generation. and And what Paul's words here are to identify faithful men that you can pass this on to. Notice he doesn't just say pass it on to anybody, but you're going to pass it on to faithful men and trust those, and then they are going to pass it on. To someone else like that. And so there's there's that keeping that thing going as God wants us to. And so out of that comes a couple of thoughts. First of all, how do we recognize who is faithful?
0: Yeah, well, I, I would lean on where we were earlier last Sunday morning, um, a week ago, in in Second Timothy chapter one verse thirteen. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Uh, to make it really simple, I don't believe any of us can be faithful if we're not
1: following the pattern of the sound words. Absolutely. And I think uh, another uh, definition of who is faithful is just found in these three three illustrations. Is he a soldier that's focused? Is is he an athlete who's competing by the rules? Is he hardworking like the farmer? Now, you know, if the answer to those is no, 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 then most likely he's not faithful. You hand him that baton and it's going to drop. And so, so the idea here is one generation teaches another generation. This is not just done as we think about preaching. This is done in the home. As mom and dads teach their children, their children grow up with the expectation that when they marry and have children, they're going to be doing that same thing to them. The passing of that baton is so essential. And so part of that is teaching faithful people how to teach others. Yeah. And and what would you say to that? Well, I, like you said, that ought to start at home. It ought to
0: start with Bible classes. I mean, we—it is not hard to imagine faithful generations who have made a great impact. If if they don't help the generations behind them know how to teach. Not hard to imagine how a congregation could get itself in trouble and really suffer generationally. I mean, this this is just a part of the human story. This is all over the Bible, whether we're talking about patriarchs or priests or judges or kings or prophets or the apostles, the second generation of Christians— All were expected to hand the baton off to the next generation. The only one who did not do that was the Lord Jesus Christ, right? He holds the scepter of his kingdom, but before him and after him, there are stories of men and women who took others beneath their wings, taught them, coached them, encouraged them, corrected them. That has to be a part of our ongoing work as disciples
1: in the 21st century. And and that's one of the reasons why a congregation like here at Charlestown Road, we have so many avenues of teaching. It's not just because, well, you you just have to do this. It's something we're supposed to do. We're doing this because this is a way of passing that baton on. Uh, when you read the first pages of the book of Joshua you see what happens in in the book of judges what happens when that wasn't done a generation arose that did not know the lord and then immediately they're starting to go into idolatry and paganism and and the lord is is just upset with him and what happened is one generation drop that baton, and that's all it takes for things to start coming apart, and so that's a powerful principle as we think about our homes, we think about the congregation. Our responsibility is to faithfully hand that on, teaching others that they will pass it on as well. Now, near the end of this chapter, there's a couple other things I want to just kind of bring out, just great spirit of, I think, the Lord's people here. And this is in verse 24 and verse 25. Let me read that, and then we'll talk about this spirit or attitude. It says, the Lord's bond servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth. And what we see just kind of standing out of there is this idea of being kind, yeah. correcting with gentleness, uh, not being quarrelsome, being patient when you're wrong. Well, what we're seeing here is, is a spirit, or is an attitude. And and um,
0: talk about that for a moment with me, Jason. Yeah, the first word that goes through my mind when I read that is selfless. Right. It, When I think too highly of myself or I am too sensitive uh, when it comes to my own selfish uh, sensibilities, then I'm going to be the exact opposite of this, right? Someone picks a fight with me while I'm going to get quarrelsome right back them. If they're rude to me, I'm going to find it very easy to be even more rude. If if there's evil or or some sort of wickedness come my way, I'm, I'm going to have a tough time being patient about that. If If I've got the opportunity to really put someone in their place, I'm going to take it, and I'm not going to worry about gentleness. But all of this, it really does revolve around being like a soldier, an athlete, a hard working farmer. This isn't about me. I'm I'm just a servant. I am someone else's servant. I know what it is to be out of bounds, off track, entangled in worldly pursuits, right? But My king has redeemed me. He has provided me purpose, given me a new identity. And now I just want to help other people come to know this king who is good and does good, which means I've got to keep my own spirit,
1: my own attitude in check. Yeah, I just wonder how many people in the spirit of trying to be good or do good have, have lost it because they forgot the kindness and yeah. the gentleness and the patience and, and they've been rude or offensive and pushy with people. And, and so the good news comes across as bad news and it doesn't help people. So it's not enough that you stand for the truth. It's not enough that you go by the rules, how you conduct yourself, your attitude and your spirit toward that and toward others really makes a big difference in all these things. and So again, we really appreciate that lesson. Good lesson for us. Good walk through 2 Timothy. And if you haven't done it, this is a great time just to be reading 2 Timothy as we're going through these lessons together. I
0: appreciate that, Roger, very, very much. It is Wednesday, and we've got the opportunity to grow in exactly the way Paul is trying to help Timothy in a variety of Bible classes for all ages. You and I are on the home stretch of some studies for our adults. You're going to be teaching in the auditorium tonight.
1: Yes, we're looking at how the Old Testament finished. And so we're in the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, and tonight we'll be in Malachi chapter 2 and see some strong, strong words that the prophet has to say there.
0: In our Building Blocks track of studies, we've been surveying Exodus through Deuteronomy. We've left Mount Sinai with the children of Israel. We are wandering in the wilderness with them right now. We—it uh, It is not the most pleasant chapter in Israel's history to look at, but The lessons, practical, timeless lessons abound. And so we're going to be with them, walking with them this evening, Lord willing. Roger, you have the opportunity to preach
1: this Sunday morning. Yes, and we're also going to be talking about our theme this year, Finishing What Was Started. And we're going to be at the end of James chapter 1 and talk about the worthwhile endeavor that we're engaged in. Sunday evening, 5 o'clock
0: p.m., No mystery here. We'll be in Second Timothy chapter 3. But we appreciate so much you listening to This Week at Charlestown Road. Roger, thanks for being in the studio with me today. It would be great to see you all at 7 o'clock p.m. this evening. We're already looking forward to Sunday, the best day of the week. And we would love to have you come and grow with us.